But it is good to be with you as we continue our next step in spiritual formation. Last week we talked about evangelism and discussed that in our small groups. If you're not taking part in our small groups at 5.30 on Sunday evenings, I'd encourage you to be there. We only have two left this go-round for this series, but I'd encourage you to come anyway. It is not too late, and tonight we're going to be digging into the topic of discipleship, which we'll also be talking about this morning. But as we start to talk about discipleship, we need to define what it is to be a disciple. So as we look at that word, the thing that we think of most often is a follower, a follower. And that is a good definition of a disciple. The question is, what does it mean to follow? Because a lot of us say we follow certain things, especially in a social media world. We follow certain people on Instagram. We follow them on Facebook. We follow them on Snapchat. And basically what that means is if they do something, we get a notification that they did something. And if we're really interested and we're not too busy, we'll look and we'll see what it is. So at any given time, these people that we follow on social media, we can tell you a little bit about them. We can tell you maybe a couple of the latest things that they've done. But is that really what we consider following? Would we say we're a disciple of that person? You know, some of us follow sports teams or say that we follow sports teams. And depending on how much time we have and how they're doing that season, we may know more or less from season to season about that team. We know some averages. We know some other statistics about the players. We may know the lineup. We might even be able to go to the second string on the bench. But beyond that, we probably can't really tell you a whole lot about them. Well, we really consider ourselves a disciple of that team. You know, some people are fanatics. Some people really are fanatics about certain teams, and they will follow them anywhere. They'll go anywhere they are. They know absolutely everything about them. Their entire life revolves around this team. And that would be what we would consider a disciple. Because you see, that word disciple, when we when we go to it in the Greek and we go back to the language, the root of the word is not just follow. Instead, the root of that word actually goes to learn. It's tied to the idea of learning. You see, this idea of following and learning relates more to a hunter and prey. When we talk about following an animal through the woods, we're not just talking about following the tracks. We're not just talking about following a little tuft of hair. When we talk about learning this animal and tracking this animal, we're getting to know everything about it. We're getting to know its habits. We're getting to know where it beds down, where it goes to drink, where it feeds, the times of day that it's there, what path it takes to get back and forth to these different locations. You see, we really do, ladies, when we go to the woods, we don't just go to get away. We really are learning. Okay, There really is something to scouting the animal. There's a reason that we have those trail cams. There's a reason that we go down and, and just walk through the woods and look for little things because we are learning that animal. We're learning that prey. We're learning that thing that we're after. When we do that, we're really getting at the essence of what it means to be a follower in the disciple sense of the word. We're doing more than just knowing a few things about this animal. We're really learning it so that we're thinking like it thinks. We know where it's going to be. We know how it's going to react. So what then is the goal of being a disciple? Well, Jesus spells it out for us in John chapter eight, or sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like 
their teacher. That is the goal. That is our goal with discipleship. As we follow Christ, as we learn from him, our goal is to become like him. Like him. And that's the way it is with anything that we follow after. One of the things that we're going to be looking at this evening as we get into the small groups, again, I'd encourage you to come, is is it possible to be a follower of yourself? Could you say that you're a disciple of yourself, given this definition? If it's learning something, if it's learning something's tendencies, is it following after the way that that thing thinks or behaves, and the goal is to become like that thing that we're following, is it possible to be a follower of yourself? Something to consider. But see, it goes on, and as we think about being a disciple, it goes a little bit deeper than this. Jesus says that if we're going to be his disciple, then we're to become like him, the teacher. How do we do that? He tells us in John 8, 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. See, if we're going to become like him, if that is the goal, this is the way that we do that. We abide in his word. We learn him by following in his word. We learn him by drawing close to him. We learn him by ministering with him and allowing him to minister in our lives. We learn him by spending time in his word with him. You don't learn about the deer that you're stalking by sitting at home and watching the outdoor channel. You might pick up some great tips. You might pick up on some things that you never thought about before. You might pick up on some new techniques, but you don't learn the animal that you are stalking until you get in the woods and you spend time with the animal, observing the animal. And it's the same thing with Christ. If we are going to be his disciple, we must get in his word and spend time with him in his word so that we can learn him, so that we can meet the goal of becoming like him, like him him. Now we know what a disciple is. We must ask ourselves this question, what does discipleship look like? What does discipleship look like? What is this process of becoming a disciple, of becoming a follower, of learning more about him, of looking more like him? What what does that really entail? What is he calling us to? What does he expect from us? If you want to turn this morning to the book of Luke chapter 14, we're going to be looking at this passage as Jesus tells us what it means to be his disciple. What is at stake the extreme to which he expects us to follow him and become like him. Luke chapter 14. We see great crowds in verse 25 gathering around Jesus, traveling there with him. So he turns to these crowds. When it says his disciples, he's not talking about just the 12 at this point. He's talking about all of those who have come alongside him and say that they're following him. But the question is, and the thing that Jesus is wanting to get at, and the thing that he's really making them consider in their heart, is what and who are they really following? Some of them are following him for the spectacle, because of what they've seen him do, the miracles they've seen him do. Some of them are following him for the food, because Jesus had a tendency to feed the crowds that he was teaching to. Some of them are following him because this teaching that he has sounds different than anything else they had ever heard, and he's a curiosity. Some of them are following him because his manner of teaching, he was a very charismatic type figure in this day and age. He didn't teach like everyone else. There was authority in what he said, and the way that he taught was different from the stuffy old rabbis that they were used to listening to. So there was something very intriguing about him, and some were following him just because his style was a little bit different. 
And so Jesus really takes them to task here, beginning in verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him or with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus poses this teaching to the crowd and begs them to consider what it is that they're doing. Are they really followers of his? And in this, he puts four things out there that we need to look at ourselves today about what it means to be a disciple and what this process of discipleship looks like. Is it something that we really can get ourselves into and throw ourselves behind? First, he tells us this. We have to love God more. Notice what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We have to love God more. And he cuts right to the chase. He skips over hobbies and passions and jobs and neighborhoods and money and all of these other things. And he goes to what people would say matters most to them. It's the relationships. It's the people in their lives, especially their own blood relatives. You may not be able to stand them most of the time. But if somebody messes with family, who are they messing with? Audience participation. Who are they messing with? You. Right? And we all tend to see it that way. We've all got that kind of clan mentality. Where even if I don't want to be around them, you can't say anything bad about them because that's my family. And there's this love, there's this bond that goes deeper than that, right? And so Jesus really gets to the heart of things. He says, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to truly be my disciple, this is what discipleship looks like, you have to love me more than even the thing that you love most in your life. And for a lot of us, there's something even deeper than family that we love more. What is that? Self. And he says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to love me even more than you love yourself. Are you willing to put me first? Please think about it. If I've got a whole line of people up here, the person at the head is the follower, right? What's the guy who's next? The first follower, right? There's only one person at the head that we're all following. And if I put anything else before that, if I put myself, if I put any other relationship, if I put my family, am I following the person who's second in line or am I following the person who's first? I'm following the person who's first. You know, if we're not following Jesus, we're not followers of Jesus. It's that simple. If we're not following him, we're not his followers. We're followers of whatever it is that we put first in our lives and whatever we're following. We have to love him more than anything else. Secondly, he tells us this. We have to count the cost. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
Jesus doesn't say he wants us to jump into a relationship with him blindly and not consider what he's calling us to. Because he, he understands the seriousness of the commitment. He understands the seriousness of what it is that he's calling us to. He understands the level of commitment that he's expecting. And he says, I don't want you going into it thinking this is going to be an easy thing. I don't want you going into it thinking this is all going to be roses. I want you to understand. So he's told his disciples on a number of different occasions. He says the disciple or the student is not greater than his teacher. The slave is not greater than his master. The world has hated me. They're going to hate you. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He's made no bones about what it's going to mean to follow him and the life that they're going to be getting into. But he does make them promises. He says he's never going to leave them or forsake them. He doesn't say he's always going to deliver them from the fire, but instead he's shown them by example that when they're in the fire, he'll be there in the midst with them. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he doesn't say that there won't be work involved. You see, Jesus wants them to understand what following him means because he wants those who follow him to be committed and to be sincere and to follow through with the task he's laid out before them. And so it says, you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost. You say you're going to follow me. You've got to count the cost. You know, West Virginia University didn't put out there in front of its fans and say, look, we're getting a football team together and we're looking for fans. We're going to be the most frustrating team in college football. But we'd still like you to follow. There's going to be weeks whenever we look like we're the best team in the country. And the very next week, we're going to lose by 47 to a team that should have never been on the field with us. Or we're going to have a 47-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and we're going to blow it and lose the game. You know, no, no football team ever advertises that to potential fans, right? That's not a good way to sell tickets. But Jesus is saying, look, I want you to understand what you're getting into. I want you to understand what you're following. And you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost. Then he gets on to the third point. He says, you've got to forsake it all. Therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you don't renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. That does not mean that Jesus is asking you, if you're going to be a follower of his, to come here to the offering plate and write a check to clean out your bank account. Sell your home and bring us the proceeds. To get rid of your car, your children, because that's the biggest drain on your money, right? It doesn't say, I want you to get rid of any of that and bring it here. No, when he says, I want you to forsake all that you have, this is what he's saying. I've put things in your life, but you don't get a hold on to them. You keep them with open hands. This is a mentality thing. This is a headspace that we have to be in. Notice what it says. It uses the word here, renounce. What are we renouncing? We're renouncing ownership. We're renouncing entitlement. We're, we're renouncing possession. God places things in our lives. God takes things from our lives. There are things in our lives right now that God may never take from us and may never expect us to give up. But you know what? If he came asking, what would our response be? If he said, for you to follow me, if for you to accomplish in your life what I've planned for you to accomplish, I need this relationship. I need you to give up this career and move here and start over. 
I, I need you to give up this salary and this standard of living. If he came to us and asked for any of those things, what is our mindset? He says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you have to understand that everything is on the table. I've given it to you, and at any time I can require it of you. You don't get to take this off the table and keep it in your pocket, tight-fisted, and leave everything else in play. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're truly going to be a follower of me, if I am going to be, number one, that thing that you love more than anything else, you need to count the cost and realize what I'm asking you to put on the table, because to be my follower, you've got to renounce your claim to it all. It's all mine. Then he goes on, fourthly, take up your cross and follow. See, it's one thing to get into that headspace. It's one thing to get into that mindset. It's one thing to understand, to count the cost and know what's being asked of us. But it's another thing to actually pick up our cross and go out. It's a completely different thing. I I can go to the army recruiters. I can go and sign my life away. And I can understand that I am pledging to defend my country for the price up to and including my life. I can go through basic training. I can put on the uniform. I can get the tattoos. I can change my name to Sarge. I can, I can do all of these things. But whenever it actually comes time to deploy, when I go out onto the battlefield, that's when I'm a soldier. It's that way as a follower of Christ. I can know what he's expecting. I can know what's expected of me. I can agree that I am willing to do all of that. But have I taken up my cross and done anything? And see, this cross that we have to take up just isn't trial. It just isn't burden. It just isn't the bad things in life. It just isn't persecution. It just isn't the hard things that the world is going to throw at me because I'm a believer. See, this cross is also the task that God has put on our lives. This cross is also the ministry that he's created us to do before we were ever born. In a world that is not for us. This is any ministry. This is any person. This is any outreach. This is anything that he is calling us to do in our lives for his namesake and for his glory. Elsewhere in scripture, whenever he talks about this same passage in Mark, he says we're to take up our cross daily. These are the daily things that God is asking us to do for him. We have to take up our cross and go. So, if that's what discipleship looks like, what does it look like in action? What what does following really look like whenever we start doing it? What does it look like whenever we pick up our cross and go? Following means discipling. Following means discipling. Remember our goal of what a disciple was. It's to look like our teacher. What did our teacher look like? What was he about? What did he do while he was here? He made disciples. So if the goal was for us to look like our teacher and our teacher made disciples, then what is our burden? What is our cross to bear? What do we pick up daily and do? Following means making disciples. Look at the Great Commission. Notice it never mentions the gospel. 
Instead, what does it say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Where does it say go and share the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and go back home? It says go and make disciples. Go ahead. It says the gospel is merely the first step in disciple making. Look at it. Go and make disciples. What, what, is, what is the process for discipleship? We just look at it. What are, what are those first three steps? Right? We love God more. We count the costs. And we renounce it all. What, what, is, what is the call of the gospel? To realize who you are, who God is, and what he did for you. To love him more. To count the cost. To understand the relationship that he's calling you to. And to renounce it all. To repent and turn from your sin and follow God. So you see, evangelism, the gospel, is the first part. It's the first step of disciple making. So it is there in the Great Commission. But that's just the first step. It's just the first step. And so in the Great Commission, we see this great mandate for making disciples. So let's look at this process of making disciples. This mandate comes to every one of us, doesn't it? Who who was the Great Commission given to? You know, originally there was a band of 11 there with him, right? Whenever he gave it. But what did he tell them? told them to take all that he had taught them and to teach others. And part of that teaching was to take all that they had been taught and to teach others. That trickles down to us, doesn't it? The same way the Great Commission applies to each and every believer, this mandate to make disciples applies to each and every believer. But you see, this mandate to make disciples is even older than the Great Commission. Parents, we were given this mandate in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does it tell us to do in raising our children? We're to teach them to love the Lord, right, with all that they are. We're to keep their, our, his word before them and to teach his word to them. When we rise up, when we lay down, when we sit at the table, we're to keep it on the doorpost of our house. In other words, we're to keep it ever before our children, Raising children is making disciples. This mandate is that old. But it applies to every one of us as believers. Discipling isn't a church thing. It isn't a church thing. And this is, I think, one of the biggest problems with the church today. And I don't just mean our church, but the church in general. Is we have fallen into this mindset and we've fallen into this idea that making disciples is something that happens at church. That if we can just get people to come to our small groups, if we can just get people to come to our Sunday school, if we can just get people to come and hear the sermon, disciples are going to be made. And we've tried to move a little bit beyond letting the professional Christians make disciples to this idea of we're going to do small groups and we're going to do home Bible studies. So we're going to take the church into our neighborhood. But still, really, what are we doing at that point? We're inviting people to come to the church. We're we're hosting the small group in our house 
and inviting the small group leader, inviting the pastor to come and lead small groups so that they can make disciples. We're failing to see that instead of taking Christ to our neighbors, we're taking the church to our neighborhood. And that's not the mandate. The mandate is for each and every one of us as we go to make disciples. We are the disciple makers. You are the disciple makers. As a believer, you are the disciple maker. You are Christ to these people that God has placed in your life. It is not enough to invite them to church. Yes, they will hear the scripture here. Yes, they will hear the gospel here. Yes, they will be exposed. Yes, they may make a decision here. But that is not your mandate. The mandate is to make disciples as you go. Not be great cheerleaders for your church and a great PR branch of the church. You go and you make disciples. You take Christ to them. So we're going to look at what this disciple-making process looks like. If we're expecting you to go, what is it going to look like? Well, first of all, it begins with Christ. It begins with Christ. Look, Look at this passage again. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus said it starts with me. I have taught you what it means to be my follower. I have taught you what it means to worship me. I have taught you the ministry that I want you to do. I have taught you how I want you to do it. It all begins with me. And because I have taught you, now you go and teach someone else. See, he's the beginning point. He's the source of all of it. We're not teaching them what I think it means to be a Christian. We're not teaching them the political views and opinions as a conservative Christian that I have. We're not teaching them what it looks like to be a good guy in our family. We're not teaching them based on my experience what I think about this situation or about this issue. He said, if you're going to make them followers of me, and remember the goal is for them to look like the teacher, if you're going to make them followers of mine, it begins with me. What did I teach you? Now teach that to someone else. You could say, I I could never be a disciple maker because I don't know enough, I don't know anything. You know something. Have you taught anyone what you know? You know how Christ saved you if you're a believer. Have you taught anyone how he saved you? You know the difference that he's made in your life since coming to him. Have you taught anyone what difference he could make in their life? You know what sacrifice he made for you and the fact that you were undeserving. Have you taught anyone that they're undeserving but Christ sacrificed for them anyway? Teach them everything that he has taught you. So it begins with him. But next, we'll see that it depends on him. It depends on him. Notice what he told the first disciples when he called them. He didn't say, I'm going to take you away for a three-year intensive training, and then I'm going to send you out, and you have to make people change. You have to make people better. You have to fix their lives. No, what did he say? He says, follow me 
and I will make you fishers of men. He is the agent of change. This disciple-making process is completely and totally dependent on him. And as such, we as disciple-makers have to learn to be completely and totally dependent on him. We are never going to know enough. We are never going to be polished enough. We are never going to be trained enough. We're never going to be slick enough to make anyone look like Christ. It's up to him. It's up to him. But at the same time, the only way we're ever going to be the disciple makers that we need to be is to depend on him because it's up to him. Look at this next passage. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, I don't want people that I'm discipling to look like the best me that I can be. Remember the goal is to make them look like the teacher. So he says, I'm dependent on Christ. I'm dependent on Christ for my identity. I'm dependent on Christ as my example. I'm dependent on Christ to make me who I need to be. So as I follow Christ, you follow me. And as disciple makers, as people with a mandate to go and to make disciples, we need to be very careful and make sure that we are following Christ. Because if we're not following Christ, how are we ever going to lead anyone else to look like him? So with this mandate to be disciple makers comes this mandate to do all of these things that we've been talking about in the series. This mandate to personal holiness, this mandate to Bible study, this mandate to prayer, this mandate to fellowship within the local body of believers. All of these things that we've been talking about, they have to be in place so that we look like Christ and we can lead others to look like him as well. The next thing that we see is that we must convey Christ. The disciple-making process conveys Christ, both in its content, what we're teaching. We're we're teaching Christ. We're, We're not discipling people based on genealogies in the Old Testament, the particulars of Levitical law. We're making people look like Christ. We must convey Christ in our content. We're not teaching them to think politically the way that we do. We're conveying Christ in our content, but besides in our content, we're also portraying Christ in our methodology. How did did Christ bring people to look like him? He did life with them. He shared his life with them. He shared his ministry with them. He took 12 undeserving men aside and brought them in. To an intimate place, an intimate circle within his life. And he began to share his life and his experiences and his ministries with them. He would let them see his trials. He would let them see his successes. And then he would make sure to go through and point to God through each of those. And his dependency on the Father. His relationship with the Father. This part of this suffering in his life for the glory of the Father. Lessons they only got by spending time with him and around him and seeing his life and how he dealt with life and handled life and ministered through life. And that's what we are called to do. I cannot think that disciple making is volunteering to teach a Bible study in my neighborhood, inviting people to come, spending an hour going through a Bible study with them and then sending them home. That's not disciple making. 
Where, where did they see that apply to your life? Where did they see how this is how he handled it? This is how he did it. This is how that worked in his life. So this is how it's going to work in my life. This is what I need to do. This is the way I need to be seeking Christ in this area of my life. And this is the part, this is the thing that I think turns us away so much. This is really the issue. We find a lot of other excuses, but this is the issue. We don't want people to see our spiritual lives. We don't want people to get that glimpse into our lives. Because if we're honest, we don't have it all together. And if we're honest, we look at our lives and we know that we're not where we need to be spiritually. If we're honest, we look at everything that's going on the way we just handled this situation. I just blew this situation with my family. How in the world am I going to let anybody look at my life and point them to Christ? I can't say follow me as I follow Christ because that was not very Christ-like. So what do we do? What do we do? And that's this next part. We must conform to Christ. Because see, discipleship and discipling requires modeling. We must be molded into the image of Christ. We recognize these areas of our life that aren't Christ-like and we let Him do something about it. Instead, so many times we feel ashamed of those things and we look at those things and we say, I can never be a disciple maker because I'm not living it and I'm not doing it. And instead of fixing it, we just try to close the door and keep everyone out so that they don't see that we're not doing it. But that's not what he's called us as disciple makers to do. It's not to close the door and make sure everything on the outside looks good. It's to let him come in and change things and mold us and conform us to his image so that we can be those people who are imitating Christ. And we can confidently say, you know what, I may have my struggles and I may blow some things from time to time, but to the best of my ability, I am following Christ to follow after me. Look at these passages with me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. Jesus is about ready to give a parable that we're all familiar with, but do we ever stop and think about that parable in the context that he put it in? He says, the man who hears my words and does what I say is like the man who goes to build a house. And he digs down and gets to the bedrock and lays a good foundation and builds a house so that when the wind and the storm comes and blows against it, the house still stands. But the man who hears my words and doesn't do them is like the guy who doesn't dig down and doesn't lay a foundation. He just builds his house right there on the dirt, on the sand, on the topsoil. And it might be a beautiful house, but as soon as the storm and the winds come blowing against it, what happens? It comes crashing down. How great is the fall of that man? And we see this in the lives of Christian leaders all over today, don't we? We, we see these popular personalities and we, we see these people that we put up on this pedestal as, as what a great Christian looks like. And they fall into sin. And as the details begin to come out, we begin to realize that the foundation that we thought that they had wasn't really there. And when the winds and the storms of temptation and this life have blown against it, that house comes crashing down. And how great has been the fall of that man? Because what does it do to the people who were following him as they thought they were following Christ? It leaves a foothold for the enemy to get in. 
to cause doubt and temptation and insecurity even about their own salvation there in the wake of what has happened. And he says, if you're ashamed of the fact that you're not being very Christ-like, that you don't think you can be a disciple maker because your life is not together, because you are not very Christ-like yourselves, he says, do something about it. Dig down. Get to the bedrock. Have a solid foundation and build on that foundation. Build on that foundation. Instead, what we try to do is we try to split our house. And we say, God, as far as my spirituality and my family is concerned, I'm going to build on your foundation. Those things are important. But as far as my hobbies and my interests and my career and my job and my weekend and my friends and all that, I'm just going to build over here where I want to build. But what happens whenever the storms and the winds of life come blowing into your life? And this part of your house collapses. Is that any better a testimony? Is there any less shame? Is there any less insecurity in your life because this part of your house was built on the foundation? He says you've got to forsake it all. Count the cost and forsake it all. Be like the one who builds on the solid foundation, who when he hears his command, obeys. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to? Remember, we said it earlier, if you're not following Christ, you're not a follower of Christ. We can't fool ourselves. And as we talk about conformity and we talk about this modeling, we see that we we can't model what we don't have. We can't model what we don't have. It's not going to happen. We may think that we're fooling people. We may think that we've got it all together. We may think that we've got it looking good on the outside and nobody knows the difference. But you can't teach something you don't know. You can't share experiences that you don't have. You have to know. It has to be who you are. Are you sold out to Christ? Have you forsaken it all? How do you do that? How do you do that? Maybe maybe you're in a place where you're not exactly sure about how you're going to get everything where it needs to be, the way it needs to be. Maybe you've tried, maybe you've struggled. Maybe there's that thing that just keeps coming back in your life again and again and again. It's that one thing that keeps derailing you. It's that one thing that Satan's got a hold of you on and it keeps reminding you, you can't do it because this. This is hiding here. This is lurking here. We're going to talk about this more tonight. But in your life, you need three people. You need three people. Everybody needs a Paul. Everybody needs a Barnabas. And everybody needs a Timothy. If you're going to be a disciple maker, if you're going to be someone who is sold out, picking up your cross and following him, making disciples as you go, you need these three people in your life. You need Paul. You need someone who is more mature than you spiritually. Someone who is ahead of you in their walk in Christ. Someone that you're following behind. Someone that is pouring into you. Someone that you're learning from. Someone that is coming alongside you and helping point out your flaws and pointing out the things, the shortcomings that you have, pointing out the ways that they see you going awry, pointing out the things that they're seeing the enemy doing in your life that you're not even really aware of. 
You need that Paul. But you see, Paul didn't do it alone. Paul always had a Barnabas. As he was doing what God had called him to do, the enemy was attacking him. And rest assured, if you are making disciples, the enemy is going to be attacking you. How do you withstand that enemy's attack? How do you handle those insecurities that you're going to have? How do you not get derailed by the landmines and the temptations that he's going to throw into your life? You have a Barnabas. You have someone who is going to come alongside you and encourage you, who's going to admonish you, who's going to be there with you. It's that person who's a spiritual peer. It's that person who is on the same track as you. It's that person who is on the same course that you are on, who has the same goal, has the same understanding, the same outlook. They're seeking the same things. And you're there for them and they're there for you. They're there to help carry that burden as we're instructed to do. But you also need a Timothy. If you look throughout Paul's ministry, even the time that he spent in prison, Paul always had someone that he was pouring into. There was always someone who was younger in the faith, someone who was less spiritually mature, that he was taking all those things that God had shown him and he was passing them off to them and raising them up and pouring into them so he could see them become what God had created them to be. And you see, that's good not only for them, but that was good for Paul. It's good for us. Because as we know that we're trying to lead somebody to look like Christ, we ourselves have to stay conformed. We ourselves have to make sure that we're modeling Christ. That he is still the person that we are following because we know that their life, their spiritual life depends on it as well. It keeps us accountable. Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? But more importantly than that, who are you following? Who are you following today? And as we close out this morning, let me ask, what is, what is your next step in discipleship? What's your next step in discipleship? Maybe you're here at this point today and you need to really consider, do you love God more than anything else in your life? Are you really committed to and following him? Have you counted the cost? Is there something in your life that you're just not sure if you can let go of? Maybe you need to deal with God about that. Maybe you need to talk to him about that area of your life that you just can't let go of because you're still wrestling with. Is what God has for me in this area better than anything else that I could have for myself? Or maybe you're at that stage today where you need to say, you know what, I realize that there's nothing greater, but I've just got to let go. It's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. And I, I need to let go this morning. Leave everything on the table. And just have that mindset of God if you wanted it yours. Maybe you've already gotten to that headspace today. Maybe you're already there, but you have not yet started that life of taking up your cross daily and going. Fulfilling that mandate to make disciples in your life. And that's your call. That's what you need to be doing today. Maybe you need to start that relationship with him brand new today. You, you need to say, you know what? There is nothing in this life that is worth more than what God could have for me. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of banging my head against the wall. I'm tired of reaping the circumstances and the situations that I find myself in day after day after day because I'm doing it on my own. And so today I'm going to start. I need a Paul. I need a Barnabas. 
I am Timothy. I need someone to pour into me because I want to start new today. And this relationship with Christ, I, I don't need some people to come alongside me. I can't do it on my own. Whatever your next step is today, what's keeping you from taking it? Why don't you make that decision now? Step out and follow him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? Father, I thank you for our time together.